Yo, yo, what up, what up? Welcome to the WTF Should I Do With My Life podcast. I am your host, Jacob Sokol, and this podcast is all about helping you live with the highest levels of success, fulfillment, purpose, and integrity so that you can be aware of the unique opportunities and challenges that exist in today's world and then rock those. The traditional roadmap for success, as we all know, it's not working anymore. Right, And so how do we navigate today's world without the old school dogma of what we're supposed to do with our life, but to really tap into what's in our gut, what's our deepest truth, and how do we live that? So uh, today's interview is with my friend, Christine Hassler. And Christine is a life coach, she's a speaker, she's an author, and her latest book is called Expectation Hangover, which is a guidebook for how to treat disappointment, which we all face, and to treat it on an emotional, on a mental, behavioral, and spiritual level. She's spoken to over 100,000 people at events around the world and has appeared on shows like The Today Show, on CNN, ABC, Fox, and many more shows. So I interviewed Christine way back in the day, and she's actually on episode five of the podcast. So if you'd like to go further into her story, uh, you can do that there. But today's interview is all about relationships. That's right, relationships. And there's a ton of goodness that you can use to upgrade your love life here, including why it's crucial to understand the five types of relationships, right? And how to know which one you're in. We'll talk about how do you know if someone you're dating is long-term material. We'll talk about three steps, three action steps for type A women to take in order to succeed in relationships. We'll talk about how to keep things exciting in a long-term relationship and how to know when it's time to break up and how to process a breakup. So with no further ado, let us jump on in. Here we go. Christine, thank you so much for joining us. I always love playing with you, Jacob. It's amazing. And, uh, and you know, it's cool. So I went to a workshop of yours that you invited me to over three years ago in New York. Yeah. And it was on primarily relationships. And when I was thinking oh, about yeah. where could we go in today's interview that would be fun, I just remember there was so much goodness in that workshop that I had never heard before. And so mm. I want to dive in with you there today. Cool. Awesome. I love it. I love it. Okay. So one thing I remember you talking about was the different types of relationships that we can find ourselves in. Yep. Can you unpack that for people who are listening? What are the different types of relationships? I love it. You're so like t- tuned in. This is my next book. Ah, amazing. Yeah, yeah, this is the next book. Um, so in my own personal experience and working with people, as long as I have, I've noticed there are five different kinds of relationships. And sometimes there's there's overlap between them, but generally these are the ones. So first there's, um, and these are in no particular order, except for maybe the last one, but the first four are in no particular order. <laughs> First one is an issue-based relationship. 
And this is when like my issues dovetail with your issues. Like I have incredible abandonment issues and you have commitment issues. And so they were, it's like, boom, they come together or our issues are very similar. Like I'm very insecure. You're very insecure. And so we experience a lot of like neediness or jealousy in the relationship. And the thing about issue-based relationship is there's a ton of sexual chemistry Cause like on a soul level, like if your soul knows, Hey, I got to learn from this person and it's going to be really, really dramatic. Consciously, you're going to be like, Oh, I don't want any of that. But aha, if there's major sexual chemistry and like things are really good horizontally or vertically, depending on, you know, what you like, it's like, it it brings you together. And, but, but, and so it's hot and heavy, but then like, it's like really, it's passionate the other way too. And issue-based relationships are tough. They're tough on our heart. They, and, and you want to look to the other person. Like if only he could change, if only she could change, then it would be better. And what it does is it forces us to grow because it's this mirror in front of us that's making us take a look at ourselves. And the thing about issue-based relationships, I don't think you can work on them in the relationships. Now, sometimes you can, but the best way to handle it is for both people to go off and do their own work individually and then maybe come back together because otherwise you just keep ping-ponging. Another kind of relationship is – So before, um, you, before you jump into the next yeah. one, let's play with this here. Cool? Okay. 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 So for someone who's, who's listening who's like, holy shit, am I in an issue-based relationship? What would be a sure sign tell that they are? If there's a lot of drama, if there's a lot of fighting, if there's a lot of like – getting triggered, um, if, if it reminds you of family dynamics at all, Mm. the person is very much like, you know, whatever parent you really wanted the love and attention from that you didn't get, if they're like that parent at all. Um, and, and like, no matter what, like you just can't seem to like get, fix it. Like to, you like, I'll have your moments of okay. And then something will happen and you notice yourself or your partner being highly reactive to things Mm. highly reactive and like kind of a high level of frustration and also just this crazy attraction this almost like primal like need for the person where it's it's sort of like that U2 song with or without you I can't live with or without Mm. you it's like you just can't get enough of them but then it sometimes you can't stand them either Mm. got it okay so it sounds like most of the time it makes sense to not be in that relationship, but it also sounded like there was a percentage of time where you wouldn't advise leaving. When would someone want to stay in that versus leave that? Well, good question. The, the advantage of being in this kind of relationship is it will bring up your stuff, you, you know, your past issues that need to be healed, your relationship with yourself, like all those kind of things. So I don't think any of us avoid an issue-based relationship, even if it's like two weeks, even if you bring someone in that you're wildly attracted to, then you get ghosted by them. You know, it, it, it doesn't have to be long to get the benefits. So the benefits uh, is it the benefits of an issue-based relationship is often it will bring up your deepest, darkest shadow, your mm. deepest, darkest stuff. So that's a really good thing because we want to see that so that we can heal it and, and grow. You know, it'll kind of, you know, back to another sign of this is if it reactivates sort of childhood issues. Mm-hmm. Like I said, you know, like y- your father left the family or always was cheating and then you're with someone who's doing that same thing. It's an opportunity to heal it and respond to it differently. Um, and so a lot of times they just end, right? It, it just is like too much and someone leaves and it's just over. Um, they're hard to get out of because of that crazy passion and attraction. 
so my greatest encouragement, if you know you're in one, is get your own help. Get your own counselor, get your own coach, get your own therapist. Start looking at what the triggers are before you try to like work on the relationship together. Hmm. Does that make sense? It does. And for, so for me, when I, when I hear it, it comes up a little bit against and the way that I'm experiencing it is um, the Getting the Love You Want, the Harville Hendricks book. Because when I read that book, the interpretation that I get is actually you'd want to stay in the relationship if you're both open to working on it. Right. Well, I think I have a step between that. So yes, you can stay in it if you're both open to working on yourselves independently and then taking that self-work you're doing on yourself into the relationship. Got it. Got it. So it's not you're only working on the relationship. It's you're working on the individuals and then through that work you can work on the relationship. Exactly. But you got to work on this first. Otherwise, it's like you're just going to keep projecting like all over each other. And again, issue-based relationships can be huge growth opportunities. Um, and as we go through these, you'll see some some overlay and, and sometimes they're just not healthy. Like sometimes we just need to to get out of it. The thing with it is with any relationship in any of these categories, if both people aren't willing to work on it, it, it's, it, does, it just doesn't work. That's, that's the nature of relationship, whether it be romantic or work or friendship or even in a family. For yeah. a relationship to grow and evolve, both people have to be willing to work on it. Got it. Okay. Thanks for unpacking that. So let's, let's yeah. jump to what's another one that you got for us. So the next one um, would be a compatibility-based relationship, and this is incredibly common if you've just come out of an issue-based relationship. And this is one of those ones where it's like, oh my God, we listen to the same music, we flow through life in the same way, we're basically the same person, we're best friends. Hmm. And it's awesome because you feel like you have this best friend, and it's like, oh, and it feels so good. And then like you're a year in and you're not having sex with each other and you're kind of like roommates and there's such level of compatibility, but you almost want to create drama or create fights. Cause it's kind of like, mm. and the thing about a compatibility relationship is that what, what is often missing is polarity. Mm. So we all have masculine and feminine inside of, I, I, my primary is I'm feminine, but I have a lot of masculine in me. I have a lot of focus, I have a lot of practicality, you know, I get things done, I make choices, but my essence is more feminine, but I can look at different aspects of my life where more my masculine leans and where more my feminine leans. And in relationship, I need to be cautious of when I'm with a man to bring to to be in my feminine when he's in his masculine and vice versa. And so in a compatibility based relationship, um, you want to make sure that you have that polarity. Otherwise, you kind of end up being that best friend kind of thing. And in this kind of relationship, I really think it's important for the couple to work together to do kind of couples therapy, to take Tantra classes together, to create that polarity, to create that depth, to make sure that the relationship doesn't become friendships, not to get lazy, not to get in our own world, to have those kind of date nights so that we can, and also to fill your life outside as well with, and again, things I'm saying about each type kind of apply to all of them, but I'm just lasering in on when we're going through them. This compatibility one, you know, it's so important to have a diversity of friends. So you're getting your needs met in other aspects and have your time away from the person because that's the other thing. In these kind of relationships where it feels like best friendy, 
there can be like almost a codependence that mm. that happens. Same thing with issue based. There's also codependence in, in that as well. It just plays out in a different way. So making sure again you have your own life independent of the dynamic. Got it. I love it. I'm so interested to hear three, four, five, and possibly six. <laughs> so then this next one is quick. A fantasy based. Um, where like, Jacob, I see your potential. I know what you can be. And my love will bring out the best of you. Mm, if yep. I just love you enough. A good old fixer upper. Okay. Yeah. 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 Fixer upper. So a knight in shining armor comes in, um, that, that kind of thing where, or, or I'm, I'm 30. I really want to get married. You check enough off of the list and I'm just going to like make you into what I need you to make be because I really want to be married or be in a relationship or live with someone or I'm getting pressure. So it's kind of not really totally seeing the person and allowing yourself to fall in love with the potential or the idea or allowing pressure to, you know, dictate the relationship. So, so a telltale sign of that relationship would be is if I'm more in love with their potential than I am with them? Correct. 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 Got it. Okay. Perfect. This is great. So take us, take us to number four. So number four is um, a journey mate. And journey mate, these are really um, kind of special and sacred relationships where it's like you have a, a soul contract with someone. And someone comes into your life, and often these aren't forever relationships. These, are, these aren't quite as dramatic as issue relationships. And often they end kind of abruptly or without a lot of drama. Like someone gets deported or all of a sudden you're with someone and, and they just, this, this has happened a lot in people I've worked with. And the, the other person realizes they you know, want to move or maybe they're gay or it, it just kind of like ends. It, it reaches what I call an expiration date. And it was because your souls came together to take a particular journey, to help each other through a particular time, to learn a particular lesson, um, to reflect to each other something we needed to learn. Like another example of a journey mate relationship is someone comes into your life and they're super creative and they bring out the creativity in you and they make you feel confident about your creativity and your gifts and you think it's them. You know, you think it's like them and, and then the relationship ends and you're like, oh my gosh, like they brought out the best in me. Hmm. In a lot of ways they did. They brought out the best in you but if they had stayed, there would have been a codependent and you would have thought it was them. So oftentimes that person gets taken out, gets ejected in some way so that you can embody what they were there to mirror to you. Mm. Um, so, you know, the, th the hard thing about journey mate relationships is because there's kind of an end without drama, like it just completes, like you've learned what you needed to learn and then it's time to move on. It's almost too, like a lot of relationships, like people are just, they kind of wake up one day and look at each other and go, I think we're complete. Like, I think we've gone as far as we can go and they try to reinvent and they, you know, try polarity and they try these different things, but for each one's highest growth. It's time to move on. And in a lot of ways, that's what my marriage was like. I would definitely say my marriage was um, a journey mate relationship. And it reached a point where our soul contract was done and we needed to we needed to move on. And that was truly for the highest good of, of both of us. Mm. 
So, so with, with this relationship, it almost seems like it'll be a little bit more clear or if, you know, if, if something drastic happens, someone gets deported, someone comes out as being mm -hmm. sexually oriented differently, you yeah. just kind of are aware like, oh, well, I guess this is pretty much the expiration. It's time to move right. on here. It's, yep. We've, yeah, we're complete. And, 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 and it's really like, I love you enough to support you in going to have the next experience you need to have. Got it. You know? And, and I love myself enough to being open to the next experience that I need to have to support my growth. Because I think that the tricky thing with relationship, especially, you know, kind of in our society, is that there's this expectation that it's supposed to be forever, that we're supposed to meet this person at a certain age and get married at a certain time and then spend forever together. And in some cases, that happens. And that's a beautiful thing to spend your life with someone. And I also think we have to honor our own soul growth. And not every soul learns best with one person throughout their whole life. You know, there may be different people. I believe that every single one of my exes has been a soulmate. I don't believe there's one soul out there in the world who completes me. I complete me. And it's just a matter of like, who, who am I dancing with that is going to help me learn and grow? Um, should I move on to the, the, I'm so the enjoying this as you're talking, I'm just like, I love Christine so much. This is great. <laughs> I can just relax into this moment. Um, so yeah, so take us, take us to number five and then I'll have some questions to kind of tie this together afterwards. Okay, cool. So the fifth one for now, we'll see as I write the book if more come out, um, is a side by side partnership. And this is when two people know they're whole and complete, know that, you know, we're all learning and evolving and growing. We're never done, but knowing that nothing's missing, knowing there's no void and, we stand side by side each other. And so instead of looking at each other going, you know, what are you going to do for me? Are you complete me? Or, oh my God, you're my world. It's more standing side by side, looking in the same direction. So my vision and my values are aligned with your vision and your values. And what we can create together is far more impactful than what we could create alone. And I don't mean just in the world. I mean in terms of what we can learn, what we can grow. And no, we're, we're going to have things and we're going to learn and we're going to be mirrors and we're going to grow. But it's almost like the vision becomes more important than what are you doing for me? So it's a it's the kind of relationship that is more of a true, true partnership and a true like um, that there's each person and then there's a relationship which becomes the third entity. Mm, got it. Cool. Uh, and I've, I've heard that. I dig that. The, the point that came up actually when you were talking about number four that I, I forgot was there's, um, there's a sex columnist, Dan Savage. And I got uh. this idea from Dan Savage where he says, you know, in, in our culture, we define the success of a relationship by death meaning till death do us part. Like death, if you made it till death, then you succeeded. Then, you, know, you cheated on each yeah. other and like, you know, right. you bent, you lied. You, you were cheated. miserable. You're miserable, but like till death do us part, they really stuck it out and succeeded. And he's like, it's, it's like the notion is, is upside down. He says what should really define a successful relationship is the amount of love, integrity, honesty, support, and that if seven years in or three years in or whatever it is, that's no longer the, the case and you realize we're going in separate directions, then that's a yeah. success too. And I love that. I, 
I love that. And I love Dan. I love his podcast. And I think that that was one of the things when I look back to my divorce, what, why I would say it was successful is, is how we divorced. Mm. You know, it, this was before, um, I think it's Catherine Woodward who wrote Cut conscious uncoupling. Uh, but I feel I had a very conscious uncoupling. It wasn't dramatic. We didn't use lawyers. Um, and there was a completion. We didn't stay friends either because we knew that that would be hard to move on. Mm. Like there was, it was kind of like, okay, we're done and we need to go have our own life so that it, we're not still attached so we can really cut the cord. So to me, a lot of ways that we define whether a relationship is a success is to really look at how it completes. Mm. And if you can complete with love, and I think this applies to anything in our life, whether we're leaving a job or who knows what it is, whenever something ends, how do we, how are we with that? And even though the relationship breaks apart, the love is always there. And I can honestly say, I love all of my exes and I always will. Am I in love with them? No. Am I in relationship with them? No. But do I have mad love for them? 100% and always will. Mm, so cool. You hinted that there might be a sixth uh, category here. I did. D did you? Sounded like it. I, I maybe, maybe again, you're being psychic again. So there must be a sixth one coming in. Okay. Beautiful. <laughs> I think well, the sixth one could be hybrids. You know, relationships can shift well, well, that's into what different I, things. That's what I wanted to ask you about. So do these shifts, like can you start out as an issue-based relationship and then perhaps work through your own stuff and then turn into a compatibility-based relationship where you're friends and then work on that and end up side by side? Like does that Absolutely. happen? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it, it, again, it just comes with the evolution of the relationship and like what your contract is with that person. You know, I know people that um, met young and have worked through all this. The issues attracted them. Um, they worked on it themselves. They worked on some things and then, you know, they, they really just enjoyed each other and had that compatibility. And then they had to up level it more and bring purpose and vision and polarity into their relationship. So yes, these can evolve. These can grow. The biggest thing is that, you know, for a relationship, from my perspective, to really turn into a side-by-side -side partnership, we have to grow out of our generational programming and patterning mm -hmm. and out of playing out our issues with our parents or our issues from our childhood in relationship. So just, defi and just our, define generational programming and patterning if someone doesn't, like me, doesn't exactly know what you're talking about. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. So it's like if you kind of look at your family, starting with your parents, maybe going back to your grandparents on both sides, looking at aunts and uncles, brothers, sisters, like what's the family dynamic? So so I'll, I'll share from my life and maybe that will help. Um, so it, there's a pattern in my family of women being financially dependent on men. So the men went out work, the women, they, it's not like they were subservient, um, but they, you know, purpose wasn't their number one priority, right? And so my kind of conditioning growing up is, and even with my own dad, he was the provider, my financial security comes from a man. Mm. And if I'm like chosen and I'm, you know, someone asked me to marry them, then I'm safe and I'm taken care of and I can work if I want to work or not, but like, phew, I'm safe. And so my biggest fear, one of my biggest fears in leaving my marriage was money. Mm. Was can I 
wow, like, am I going to step out? And, and, you know, of course, when I got divorced, I wanted to just go find somebody else. But I really had to look at, I need to break this pattern of thinking that my financial security comes from being in a relationship with a man. I need to stop projecting that. I need to connect to myself spiritually. And I need to learn how to, I want to learn how to generate this on my own and find my own purpose and, and, and programming. So I broke a pattern. I'm really the only woman in my family, not married, independent, running a business, supporting myself. And I'm very open to a man coming in and also having purpose and abundance and all of those kinds of things. But I no longer will make him responsible for that. Mm. Does that kind of explain it? I just want to be like, you go girl, you get him. Yes. Yeah. That's great. So other other generational programmings and patterns is look at how people treat each other. Is there like a lot of judgment or is there codependence or are there addictions that play out or is there cheating or is there fear of abandonment? Like what sort of like is it is there more like tough love? Well, what is the the cycle and the patterns and the behaviors and belief systems that you've seen in relationship? And how do you want to resolve those in yourself so that you can break it and create new belief systems moving forward for future generations? Mm, I love that. Cool. I want to take us into dating a little bit. And I'm, I'm thinking of some of the clients that I work with and what's going on in their lives. And so that's, yeah. that's why I'm being a little pointed here. So how, do you, how do, can you tell when you're dating someone if they're good potential for a long-term partnership? Or if you should still be with them or continue to date them? Good question. First, I think you have to know what you want in terms of a partnership. And I think that it, that begins with knowing how you want to feel. We tend to make a list of he or she needs to be this and this and this and this and focus more on, you know, their job or how old they need to be or their personality yeah. versus how I want to feel and what I want to create in a relationship. And also be really clear of what kind of partner I'm going to be, you know, really honest in, in that. And, and because we tend to look at someone's potential more from the point of view of a checklist, and then we start scanning, okay, oh my gosh, do you have this? Okay, check, but you don't have this, check. And what that does is it creates some blinders and it creates some tunnel vision. And often the person that's best for us in terms of our soul growth may not exactly fit the list. Mm. I've known many people who say, I'm so in love, but he or she looks nothing like I thought. And I don't just mean physically. I mean, you know, just, just in terms of everything. So when you're thinking about long-term potential, I, I tend to think more of what's that person committed to? What are the values and vision that they're looking at? And does that align with your values and vision? That's way more important than whether he's six feet tall, you know, or, or whether she's a certain age. It, it's more about like, where is this person headed? So that's what I want to know. Like I recently went on a date. Well, not that recently, but a few months ago was on my like second or third date with someone. And I try to stay really open and not decide to really let it be revealed rather than scanning and looking um, but really just be in the moment because I know that no matter what, if it's long-term potential or not, there's a gift for me and I'm going to learn something from this person. And I asked a question. I, I asked, so what is the most challenging thing you've been through? Um, and I asked it in a playful way so I don't sound totally coachy. Yeah, I'm like, and, wow, is this um, date number one? Said, Holy shit. <laughs> Hi, how you doing? Two, two or three. <laughs> 
two or three, two or three. And it was like, you know, towards the end. And I was, I was playful with it. I was feminine. By the way, I would love so, asking the same question. So I, 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 I said an admiration right? for you of like, damn, that's dope. Well, and here's the other thing. If you want to know if something has long-term potential, you better show up as your damn self from the start. Totally. You know? So, like, don't play small. Don't be who you think someone mm. needs you to be. Don't, like, follow all the dating rules if they don't apply to you. Like, be yourself. Mm. You know, have sensory acuity. You know, be a little, like, but don't don't dim your light and be yourself. Totally. So I, when I asked this question, his answer was, oh, I don't know. I have, you know, some hurt my knee, not, not sports injury. Nah, nothing much. And that's wonderful for him. Wonderful. But I knew in that moment that I have been through a lot of challenges and it has given me grit and opportunity. And for me, I need to feel like I'm with someone who's been through some darkness, who's been through some challenges because life is going to have them. And for me, that vision of growth, unless you've kind of had some of those things, how are you going to show up in that? Like, it's important for me to know that someone has been through that and they know how they show up in those challenging moments. Yeah. Um, and, and that, again, that's just more about how I need to feel and what's, what's important to me in terms of a value. Not that I need someone whose life has been just challenge after challenge. Like I love people with great attitudes and everything like that. Cause just because you've had a challenging life doesn't mean you're a victim at all. And it doesn't mean that you're negative, but it means that you have more of a growth oriented approach to life. So that's the thing, like know your vision, know your values and get to those questions quickly mm. because that to me indicates long-term potential more than anything else. Mm, I, I love that. And I can relate to that also where it's, there's something about, oh, you know what it feels like to have soul growth. You know what it feels like to be in a situation that feels absolutely collapsing and make it through that. And so we can connect. Um, question about that situation. Do you think part of that was him just being a man and trying to be like, I don't, you know, I don't feel challenged, like, and, and kind of not getting vulnerable with you? No, uh, um, my intuition's pretty good. And um, it, again, some people, like everybody is on their own journey here. And some people are super okay with just like kind of the simple rinse and repeat kind of life. God yeah. bless them. I'm not. <laughs> I am like spin cycle. Like, <laughs> you know? and then I, I need a certain degree of uncertainty. And, you know, I, it's so I... For me, I knew that in that kind of um, simplicity, I would feel constricted. So what I got from that was, number one, check in with how is it that you want to feel and do I feel yes. that way when I'm with this person? And number two, yes. what is this person's vision and values and does that align with my vision and values? Both of those things, we need to start with our own inner examination to figure out who am I? What matters to me? And then I can see if this aligns with what I'm, what I'm attracting to me out in the world. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And what kind of partner am I going to be? So if I'm on a date with someone and they really want um, a partner who is going to be home a lot and, you know, if we had kids be a stay-at-home mom and, and do those things and it's just going to kind of be the projector and the support, that probably isn't me because mm. I have a big purpose and, and mission. And yes, I love the home and I'd love to be a mother and I love that feminine aspect. 
but I, I require, I have a certain level of independence and purpose. And so I'm going to need someone who can handle, cause how I show up in a partner is when you get me, you get me total quality time, but it might not be 24 seven. I might be in Bali facilitating a retreat or, you know, so if someone needs someone who's there at home that they can come home to every single night, I may not be the best partner for them. So being really honest about who, how we can show up, you know, and not try to, um, you know, like if you ever feel like you're selling somebody on yourself, it's run the other (laughs) direction. Like, be yeah. be yourself and be really honest about who you are and what you need and and what you have to give. Yeah, cool. Um, so I want to ask one more dating related question and then kind of shift into relationships once they're established. Yeah. And the question is, I know your journey has been in part this, and I also see this a lot in my clients and in my community. There are a lot of really amazing, powerful women who are great at getting shit done. Type A personalities, high achievers, and when it comes to dating. It's often like it, it doesn't the same thing that got them results in their career doesn't get them results in dating. Right. So That's what, right. what would be maybe one or two or three, I'm gonna say actions, because I know people listening would love actions <laughs> that they could take to make that shift into a more feminine energy to make the, the dating situation work better. Yeah. Well, okay, so first before I give the tips, decide if you like if you're an alpha female and you like that, and you want to be in control, and you want to be the one driving it, then be open to dating a more beta man, a man who's more in his feminine, and who will let you lead. Um, But if you want, like, to be outmanned, like, if you want a man who's more alpha, and will lead, and will make decisions, and will be powerful in that way, then you've got to, like, tone it down. So, some tips in that. So, first, either is okay. Like, there is no... I know lots of women who, who their men really support their vision. Their, their men um, stay home with the kids and they may, may do things here or there. They're still masculine, but they're in a different kind of role and they play with that polarity. So, so be really honest with yourself about if you're willing to um, kind of dial down the masculinity or if that's really who you are and you need a man who's more dialed up in the femininity. So and you have that polarity. And, and I would also say to notice where you're making that decision from. Is that from a fear place or from a real desire versus like, no, I, right. I want this thing because I'm scared to have that other thing versus exactly. I really want this thing. Exactly. Well said, which brings me into my first point. So the first kind of action step is to really um, understand the power of your feminine. And to find places, whether it's with friends or a tantra class or a coach or whatever, where you are not in charge Mm -hmm. and where you um, are required to be vulnerable and to surrender and to not have certainty so that you can really feel into that, that femininity to find those places in your life where you don't have it all together and lean into those places instead of just playing in your comfort zone of where you feel really amazing. It's like, you know, if, okay, let's say you're killing it at work and you're just have your own company. Maybe it's like a, a, a dance class or a striptease class that makes you feel a little uncomfortable. Like where, where are the places you can go in your life or the people you can show up with where 
you aren't the best at it and you aren't in control. Um, so you can kind of drop into being led, like allowing yourself to be led, which kind of brings into an action step of stop making all the decisions, stop leading in dating, you know, let the man choose where maybe give some hints. Like I really love Italian food, but Chinese is my favorite. So anything you pick in there is great. Mm. Um, not being the one to always text first or call first, like allowing yourself to be pursued. And I, I don't believe in games and dating, but I believe in polarity and I want to be with a masculine man. So when it comes to dating, I lean back and I allow myself to be pursued. Now, I'm friendly. I put my green light on. I'll I'll have the invitation. I'll be open, but I won't hunt. You know, I won't, I used to do that and it didn't it didn't work out that well. So for women, it's like stop hunting and allow yourself to really be pursued and be that feminine. Know that we have so much power and receptivity. We have so much power in being that invitation and being in our feminine presence and uh, and men, it really like men like to pursue men that like to that are more kind of alpha, they they enjoy that. So be a friendly invitation for that rather than being the hunter as well. Because when you have two people hunting, just it just doesn't go so well. So back off on making the decisions, back off with leading, back off with like, you know, even driving the conversation and allow the men to come forward. Um uh, uh, someone I really love, and, and Jacob, you probably know this person. I, Alison Armstrong's work is really great in this. There's a book called The Queen's Code, um, which is a fictional story that I think is excellent for women to read. Mm. Um, and then, you know, my my third tip is make make time in your life. Um, basically, work less. <laughs> make time where <laughs> make make time where it's just off. And you just you just get to play and you just get to be creative and you're not because, um, again, like it can be a compensatory thing when we're so alpha and so driven and, and so on purpose. And I think as women, we need to come together and we need to gather and we need to be in our creative energy. And so find places and spaces in your life where that happens. And and finally, and this is so important just for for anybody, but women especially please stop bonding over bad mouthing men and dating. Yeah. Like stop. Yeah. I I've been at so many conversations where it's like, Oh, men in LA suck or dating sucks or this age. And I just, am like, can we not have this conversation? Cause this is not like the energy that I want to feed right now. Yeah. So watch when you're talking about dating and men, like what that conversation is, what are you creating? And, and are you emasculating men? Yeah. That's one thing I'm really mindful of. Like, how do I emasculate men by, by judging or by leading or by, you know, like what are the little ways that I do that and how can I stop doing that and really celebrate the masculine and really celebrate that there are great men out there with great hearts and tell that story versus, oh, they're only after this and they can't be trusted and they only want, you know, like watch your conversation mm. inside and outside. Great distinction. So emasculating a man would be to take away his, or attempt to take away his manhood or his masculine essence. Um, maybe is there any other way you'd want to unpack that? And then what I heard you say specifically was to watch how you're judging and to watch if you are taking leadership, especially when he is, and then overriding right. him. 
Right. Exactly. And just little things like I can't tell you how many times I've been on an airplane and I've seen a man offer to help a woman with her luggage and she says, no, I got it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's just straight up not receiving, you know? Um, and then in relationship, I, I, I see again, like women making a lot of the choices or the man is going through something and the woman swoops in and like gives him advice mm. and, or judges him oh, or yeah. he comes comes down in a shirt and you're and the woman says, Oh, you're wearing that. Yeah. 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 Great. You know, just, I've experienced just... none of these by the way, just so you know. <laughs> okay. Awesome. Thank you for unpacking that. Um, another question I have is when a woman finds herself really into someone who doesn't have the same level of interest in her and they kind of settle for being best friends or good friends with that person. How do they navigate that situation? Mm. And, and I know it's a generic question, but I'm thinking of a few people who I know who are kind of there right now where they, they want to be with someone and that partner doesn't want to be with them the way that they want them to be with, with them, uh-huh. uh, that they want to be with them. And, uh, and so I'm wondering if you have uh, any advice or, or strategy for that situation. Well, the question that comes forward for me is what is my self-worth like if I'm settling? You know, like if I'm, if I want to be with someone or the idea of someone more than they want to be with me, why am I in that? And that's the question I'd really be asking. Um, because either you accept that and you're like, okay, well then I'm going to fulfill the other aspects that I'm not receiving from this person through friendship or through purpose or whatever it is. Um, but my my red flag in that is it kind of perpetuates a conscious or unconscious limiting belief or misunderstanding that I can't have what I want mm. or I can't be met um, or, you know, I'm convincing this person to be with me more than they actually want to be. So I'd really question if I was in that situation, why I was in that situation and if it really served my highest good and if I had – if my fear of being alone – was preventing me from really seeing the truth in a situation. Mm, nice. And then at that point, would you suggest cutting it off completely or still allowing yourself to be friends with this person and energetically trying to distance yourself from the relationship? I, you know, again, based on all my experience, both working with people and personally, the longer you have someone in your energetic field that you want something from that they're not capable of giving, the more that continues to suck energy from you Hmm. and potentially block something else from coming in. So I'm not a huge fan of being friends with exes unless it's like super clean and you don't want anything and there's no attachment and there's no shoulda, coulda, woulda, or I wish, or even glimmer of hope that someday they'll come around. Because as long as they're in your field, they're in your field. Mm. And there might be something better that wants to come in that you may not see because they're casting a shadow. Yeah. I love it. That's so good. Let me do a time check with you. We're three minutes to the hour. Uh, I'm good. You're good. Amazing. Great. I got questions, girl. So uh, how can someone know when it's time to break up? Oh, gosh, I think there are so many answers to that. Um, one, if it's abusive or dysfunction or toxic in any way, if there's 
you know, addiction or any kind of verbal or physical or mental abuse, then, then done and get some help with getting out. Cause those can also turn into kind of codependent situations. Mm-hmm. Um, so if, you know, if you're not being treated with respect and the other person's not taking any responsibility, then, um, it may be time to be done. Like we said earlier, for a relationship to grow and evolve, both people have to be willing to work on the relationship and take 100% responsibility for their 50%. And if the other person is continually not doing that, then it may be time, it may be time to end it. Um, the other reason is if you know that you've just been through something like a journeymate relationship and it just feels intuitively like it's done, honor that. I felt like that in my marriage. I didn't listen. All my hair started falling out because mm-hmm. my body was like, all right, maybe we'll get to her through her vanity. Um, and, and, I, <laughs> and Well done, body. I know. Well, you know, I'm from Texas. Hair is a big deal. So I, I was like, okay, I need to listen. So notice what your body's telling you. Really notice what your body's telling you. Don't wait to be attracted to someone else and end up cheating. Don't. If you notice you're starting to sabotage the relationship, to do things that make the other person mad at you, to do things that push the other person away or to set them up for failure, mm. that's another sign that it may be, may be time to go. And then um, also like really honoring the other person's growth. Like sometimes, you know, I, so, okay, so I had my, my uh, fiance in my 20s. He broke up with me. And everybody's like, oh, my God, I dumped you six months before your wedding. It's so awful. But what I really learned from that and looking back, like he did such a self-honoring thing for himself mm. and for me. I was so depressed and so seeking answers. No matter what he did, he couldn't make me happy. And that was toxic on him because I think for men especially who like to make their ladies happy if we're talking about heterosexual relationships, but I think this works for any kind of relationship. But in this case, I'm talking about me and a man who's my ex-fiance. He really like wanted to make me happy like and, and wanted to feel like he was you know, in a kind of relationship where his lady was happy. And I think he knew that I had such soul searching to do and that no matter what, like he couldn't fix it, that the most self-honoring thing he could do for himself and also for me was to end it. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes we have to be honest about seeing what that other person may need and kind of seeing like, wow, like I kind of might be getting in the way of them learning what they need to learn. And this is a real hard one for men. And I talk to a lot of men who are in this situation. They're with a woman and she's trying to, and this can go either direction, any sex, but I'll just give this example. They're with a woman and she's really upset and she's trying to figure things out and she's kind of a hot mess a lot of time and lashing out at him and he just keeps going in and trying to fix and trying to help her and trying to make her feel better. But like no matter what, like it just kind of pattern keeps happening. And I often say you may need to leave. You may need to quote unquote break her heart (laughs) so that she stops looking at you or the outside world is the reason and starts looking inside. Mm. Um, and that's a tough one. That's a real tough one, but sometimes it's the most loving thing we can do. Mm. So let's transition and how do you process a breakup? How does that happen? Oh, wow. Yeah. Those are fun, aren't they? (laughs) (laughs) Um, well, the first thing is to know it just kind of sucks and to feel it and grieve it. You're dealing with a loss. So 
don't try to be strong. Don't go to coping mechanisms like, well, in Expectation Hangover, my last book, it, I wrote a lot about like the typical coping mechanisms that don't work. Distracting yourself through working or getting involved in someone else's life or whatever it may be. Any kind of numbing, eating, drinking, um, over dating other people, being on the internet, whatever it may be, being strong, just getting through it or giving yourself a pep talk or going right to the the blessings and doing a spiritual bypass. All of those things like avoid, oh my gosh, I was like this with this person and now I'm like this. The relationship's gone, but what do I do with all this love and all this attachment and all this history? You got to deal with that. So first thing is feel it. And my opinion is it's really hard to process a breakup with the person you're breaking up with. Mm. So I encourage not talking to that person. Now, if you're if you have kids, that's a little different because there has to be some communication. But if you can truly separate and allow each other the dignity of your process and deal with your breakup without having to continue to talk to that person, it goes faster and it's a lot healthier. And also, notice who you're around in a breakup. Like, if you're with people who are bad-mouthing your ex and helping you throw a pity party, watch that. You want to be with people that will hold space for you, that will help you extract the lessons. You know, what did you learn? What do you need to forgive about what, what he or she did, what you did? Leverage the learnings from the breakup because that way the next relationship you have will be an up level. Versus mm. having to have the same kind of relationship just with a different face. Mm. Got it. Thanks for unpacking that because I know how challenging that is for people who are listening. And yeah, yeah. just big time. Yeah, I have. I did a video. If you just Google me and then how to get over a breakup, I did a longer video about like the different things that you can do if you want more on that. Well, one last question pertaining to that would be: so give ourselves time to grieve. Um, but then at what point is it like, okay, it's been three years now, get over it. Yeah. When we're still like attached to the, to the grief of it. Yeah. yeah. It becomes kind of a crutch and it becomes the reason wh- that we don't have the relationship we want because what tends to happen in a breakup is our heart is hurt. So we think we need to protect it mm-hmm. and we kind of form these walls around our heart. And one of the ways we form that wall is never really letting go of the person, either not letting go of the anger or not letting go of the fantasy or the hope that they may come back or, and also not letting go of the story that what happened was so awful. You know, I think that we have to, even if we were the person that was broken up with, not be a victim in that breakup and really look to what, what you learned and know that if you forgive the person, it doesn't mean I have to call up the person and say, I forgive you. And you don't need to have a conversation with the other person to have closure, but to know that if you forgive the person for whatever they did or didn't do or whatever happened or didn't happen, it's not about condoning it. It's not about making it okay. It's about letting go of the judgment, letting go of the anger or the shame or the resentment that you have on it so that you can be free. Mm. So if you're still carrying that around, it means you have walls on your heart and it means that you haven't truly forgiven. So forgive so you can be free and let go of the misunderstanding that you have to protect your heart because the heart has infinite capacity to love. Don't shut it down thinking that that's serving you because it's not. Mm, Cool. So I'm going to ask you a little bit of a different question here. 
What's one thing that you see relationship teachers teaching that you just disagree with? Oh gosh, that if you're not in a, okay, so if you're not in a relationship, that means something's wrong with you. And if you'd only fix what was wrong with you, then you could attract the love in your life. So that's one that I see out there that a lot of kind of the relationship coaches sell. Like if you just do this, this, and this, then you can attract the love in your life. And when it comes to like our soul journey, I don't think it's that black and white. And I know a lot of people who definitely have done work on themselves who have a relationship. And I know a lot of people who are in a really good loving place with themselves that haven't met a person, you know? So that, that whole, like, if I fix me, then I can have the relationship thing. I'm yeah. not a big fan of, Got not it. a big fan. Of. Oh. Um, I also, what are my other, what's one of my other kind of relationshipy ones? Um, the other one is that, you know, you should stick it out just for the learning. I don't think all relationships are stick it outable. I, again, like I'm all for lean into it. It's for the growth. Um, but really honoring and really listening within about, okay, is this relationship complete? And not thinking that if you end it, that means you're not getting the learning. You can definitely get the learning and not have it be forever. Mm, got it. In the last three years, what's changed about the way that you view relationships? What have you yeah. learned? What's different than when I, when I saw you three years ago teaching that stuff? Oh, wow. Um, I think the thing that has shifted for me is I think I understood masculine and femininity as a concept, but I don't think I truly embodied my own femininity um, mm -hmm. as much as I do now. So that's been a big shift for me, really embodying the feminine, um, even having closer female friendships, honoring the masculine, really seeing the beauty that we all have these within ourselves and that everyone has it. So coming into more of a right and balanced relationship between my own masculinity and femininity, letting my femininity really in a lot of ways inspire me and let my masculinity respond to it versus in the past, it was my masculinity that was leading. Mm. So now I work more, I have the insight, I have the inspiration. And it comes from the feminine and I allow myself to receive. And then I'll use my masculine energy to respond to that and take action. And it's definitely shifted in my dating life. I was more of the, this is the checklist, this is the kind of person I want. And I've shifted more to how do I want to feel? Yeah, Because I could go out and manifest a relationship. I could. Anyone can. But I want to be, I want to co-create with the universe. So if I manifest, it means I just, with my mind and my energy, I'm thinking about what I want and I'm bringing it into physical reality. Great. I could do that. However, I'm super clear. I want a side-by-side -side partnership. And so I am co-creating that. So I'm more focused on, okay, God, universe, this is how I want to feel this is my vision and I'm open to how it shows up versus I'm going to go out and make it happen. That's such an interesting distinction between manifesting and co-creating. And I was just interviewing somebody else the other day and they were talking about um, consciousness is kind of at different levels and like level, the way they were describing it was like level one consciousness was like being in victimhood. Yeah. 
level two consciousness was I'm going to make it happen, right? I'll put my head yeah. down, I'll figure it out. And level three was I'm going to, I'm going to co-create or find alignment with the universe. Yeah. It's kind of to me, by me, and then through me, as me, with me. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. The world happens to me, the world happens by me, or the world happens through me, with me, those, those kind of things. So, so yeah. if, if someone wants to play with that area more area, like let's say level three, where it's, I'm going to co-create versus I'm going to manifest what advice or how would you guide them to be able to do that? It's all about getting in the feeling state. So it's all about getting into like really not thinking, but really feeling. So if I think about like how I want to feel in partnership with someone, I don't think about what he looks like. I don't think about what he does. I don't think about the list. I feel into what it would feel like to be in that relationship. And that is the energetic to stay in. So it's one of the um, the tools that I really love is I'll, whether it's whatever I want to co-create, I'll record on my phone a little voice memo of kind of an ideal scene of what it feels like in descriptive language. And then our, our own voice is very hypnotic. So I will listen to my ideal, of me reading my ideal scene, like I'll listen to myself saying it to myself. And as I'm doing that, I'm feeling it and I'm programming my unconscious mind with my own voice. So that's a great little tool for co-creation. That's amazing. So cool. Yeah. Yeah. And it's kind of letting go. I don't have, I actually don't have vision boards. I don't have big lists. What? I, ha- I know. I really don't. I, I, it's more about the feeling and my vision in terms of, um, yeah, what, what, co- what I want to create versus what I want to happen. Hmm. I love it. I feel like there's a shift here for me also in the next year or two of my life, just being more conscious of this versus the I'm going to make it happen because it matters yeah. to me. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah. And the final thing I'll say to you just in the relationship thing that may be useful, especially being a single woman, but I think this applies to anybody single, it's complicated, married, divorced, whatever, is um, ha- like friendships like really having intimate friendships with men and women and coming to my edge in my own friendships and and knowing that even though I, I'm not in a romantic relationship with men, really celebrating and honoring the men in my life yeah. and all the ways they show up for me, asking for help from them, um, spending one-on-one time with them. My That's one of the beautiful gifts about being single. My, my single journey is I've had amazing relationships with male friends. That's a big thing. And the other thing I would say that I'm a student of and have such just awe for is the practice of Tantra Mm -hmm. and the study of Tantra. That's something that's new in the past three years for me because that has just taught me so much about, and Tantra isn't about having sex. I mean, people think it's like, oh, you take Tantra class, it's one big orgy. I'm like, no, that's not what Tantra is about. It's really about understanding masculine, feminine, understanding sexual energy, and understanding our own relationship with our, our sexuality, which has been incredibly empowering, because then we're not like projecting it on other people and, and looking for that from, from someone else. So um, anybody that's interested in, in growing and kind of pushing up against their edge, maybe maybe check out a little Tantra and see if that resonates with you. Mm, I love it. An action step slash comfort zone challenge for the listeners. Yeah. Uh, so last last question, I think, although sometimes when I say that, it comes to bite me in the ass because I'm like, no, no, wait, I want to go here now. 
where do you see the future of relationships going? Do you think they'll change versus what they've been in the last decades? I think they already are changing. I think they really already are in so many ways. Um, I'm very curious. There's, you know, one of the things that I have seen out there a lot in conversation, especially among millennial 20, 30 somethings is conversation around open relationships. Um, personally don't think that's something that would work for me. I don't know, but that's one, that's like a conversation that's sort of, I mean, I think it's been around for thousands of years, but the fact that it's more of a conversation Mm. is interesting. Like, are we going to change how we think about monogamy? Like are, are our definitions of commitments going to change? Are we going to create these contracts rather than using contracts that have kind of been in place for thousands of years. Yeah. Um, so that's one thing I really do see changing in relationships as consciousness shifts is knowing that what, you know, what do we want this relationship to be about and how do we want to define it versus have it being defined for us and how do we want to use it as our growth? And I think in our consciousness community, it's, knowing that a relationship is for growth and that the point of two people coming together is to grow and learn from each other and then make a bigger impact mm. ver- is, is even more important than registering at crate and barrel and moving to the suburbs and having 2.5 kids, even though all that's amazing. Like that's great. I think we're realizing there's a broader context to relationship and that we may have different soulmates and different people depending on what we need to learn. Mm. Yeah. And it's a conversation that we've been having over here as far as open relationships. And it's specifically, we haven't gone beyond the conversation, but conversing about what would work for us. Not it's either you're sleeping with one person or you're sleeping with a thousand, but like, okay, so does it work if you go out and are meeting new people in this type of way or are going to a Tantra workshop without me? And the answer would right. be no, personally, right now. But but at right. least being willing to have that conversation. Um, I th- yeah, I think you've got to be willing to have the conversation. And I think that, you know, one of my friends, um, he talks a lot about how there's a tendency to kind of go into possession mode mm. when we're in relationship. And if someone can go and have an experience with another person – um, does that mean they love you any less? No. But sitting with that is is an entirely different thing. Yeah, so t- tell that to my emotions, like, please. Yeah, exactly. And I think people look at open relationships and go, oh, that's awesome. You can just sleep with multiple people. But I think, wow, they come with their own challenges big time because there's a lot of edges in that. So the most important thing for me in relationship is communication and honesty mm. and knowing that I can whatever I'm scared of, whatever I'm feeling, come to my partner and be able to, to speak it because that, that to me is the ultimate like form of respect and love Mm. is when you really can have that kind of microscopic truth conversation. Mm. We'll have a ton of respect and love for you. And why don't you take us out with where people can engage with you and your work and, uh, and where they should go from here. Well, thank you for this conversation. This was fun, Mm. um, as always. And thank you for the work you do. Um, Me, so if you want to listen to the podcast and listen to me coach people, head over to Over It and On With It. You can search for it on iTunes or go to christinehasser.com slash podcast. 
I um, lead a lot of retreats. I have something called Secret Sauce where I train you how to build your business, how to co-create your business. Um, and I'm on all the social media handles, Christine Hassler. My website's christinehassler.com. And last book's Expectation Hangover. Mm, love it. Well, Christine, thank you so much for being here today. My pleasure. <laughs>